When we're young, we move with freedom and confidence, with a great resilience to injury. But somewhere along the line, we develop poor habits and become more vulnerable to back pain. Back Pain Solutions features evidence-based and practical advice to help you take back control of your health and get back to the activities you love. This is your guide to better back health through movement. So join us as we demystify some of the commonly held beliefs about back pain and build your confidence to a stronger back the smart way. Okay, welcome back to the Back Pain Solutions podcast, everybody, with me, Ben James. And today I'm running solo. It's just me today, and I'm talking microdiscectomy. This is a come from a question from a Facebook group about how quickly after a microdiscectomy you can start exercise. What is the the general approach to rehabilitation, I guess, after microdiscectomy? So we're going to talk about microdiscectomy. We're going to talk about the procedure, talk about some of the things that we need to be aware of post-surgery to hopefully give you some insights about the uh, surgical approach and about how you should expect to recover from such a surgical procedure. As always, head on over to the www.smartstrong.co.uk website. Take advantage of our free ebook there, where we're really helping people to take back control, empower them to take ownership of their back health within the next seven days. Some really fundamental things that you can be doing to really take control of your back health and get back to the activities that you love. So, microdiscectomy. What does that involve? So, generally, if this procedure is going to be performed for people that are suffering from a a disc herniation, and likely that disc herniation is causing irritation of of the nerve root and and therefore that classic distribution of of nerve pain down the back of the leg sciatica for want of a better term and as that disc bulges as the nuclear material within the disc bulges it starts to compress the nerve root and in compressing the nerve root it causes irritation inflammation of the nerve root and that's where we get the resultant classic sciatica type pain. Now with a microdiscectomy, the procedure effectively involves cutting out that that element of disc bulge, that material, and in doing so hopefully takes the pressure off the nerve root and resultant reduction of pain down the leg. So let's talk a little bit about the surgical procedure first of all, and then some of the guidance post-surgery and just when maybe you should consider going down that route because as with any surgical technique there are always risks and it's a one-way street once you've gone down that road of surgery you can't go back so some of the things to consider and some of the things to look out for and potentially do before taking that option so with a microdiscectomy you're going to be um, under the guidance of a, a spinal surgeon for sure and generally depending on when you're likely on that list if you're in the morning you might even be out of hospital on the same day if you're later in the list and it's in the afternoon then perhaps you'll have to stay overnight just to be monitored um, post surgery so you're going to be lying prone on a surgical table and ultimately the surgeon needs to get into the back 
to the disc. So generally, you're going to be under fluoroscopy. So that's a, a type of x-ray. So they can see the level of the disc herniation where they're targeting the surgical procedure. Then a small incision is going to be made in the back, probably less than an inch, to be fair. Um, vertical incision likely uh, to the left, right of the spine, depending on where the herniation is. And then they'll likely use some form of tubular dilators to get through the tissue and through the muscle, potentially having to separate the muscle, but sometimes certainly with the erector spiny, they might be able to push those muscles to the side, but they'll use some tubular dilators to, to increase the size of that hole, as it were, so that they can then get the surgical tools in to the disc. So there are tissues that you're going to have to get through, that you're going to have to cut through to reach the, the disc. And based on the, the spine and the anatomy of the spine, there, there may need to be some kind of drilling of bone. So as you stack vertebrae on top of each other, you get a bit of a V-shape of, of bone called the lamina coming out the back. And within that hole sits your, your spinal cord and then it tapers off back into your spinous process. And that's what you can feel down the, the middle of your back. Now, the orientation of those spinous processes, those lamina, are kind of in an inferior direction. So they angle down. So if you imagine vertebrae stacked on top of one another, quite often the bone itself is going to prevent those surgical instruments getting straight through that incision to the disc. And so they may need to just use probably a, a bone burr just to drill away and shave away the bone on the lamina. So then it creates that access point. Not always the case, but quite often that will be required. And at that point, they've now got access to the disc. And there they can use small surgical instruments to cut away that a herniated element of disc and then remove the instruments and suture. So in simple terms, that is how a microdiscectomy is performed. Generally, it's going to be under, under general anesthetic. And once you wake up, job effectively done. Or is it? And this is the key point because First and foremost, there are there are some risks. Um, obviously, we can catch the nerve root, which is definitely what we want to avoid because that's that's not going to lead to a positive outcome. Uh, and there was also scar tissue that we want to consider. So we'll talk about those things a little bit. Um, but really, the the ideal approach post surgery is to kind of get you up and about relatively quickly, and you'll be under the guidance of the occupational therapist, uh, physiotherapists, no doubt, in terms of the guidance and what you do post-surgery. And that is likely to change slightly dependent on where you have that operation. So there will always be different protocols or slight modifications of protocols in terms of how surgeons like the kind of post-surgical approach to, to take place. So there will be slight variations, but generally you're going to be up and about quite quickly because 
these days, it's it's a much more proactive approach to rehabilitation, and that go, goes for any real orthopedic surgery. Largely, uh, we want to get things moving as quickly as possible. So, walking is probably going to be advised uh, and in the early stages of your recovery and alongside some other exercises potentially but generally you're looking at a four to six week recovery time so between that time the likelihood is they're going to take things a little bit easy and here's the irony because a lot of the guidance post-surgery in that early stage of recovery is avoid bending the spine avoid twisting the spine so effectively anything that can aggravate a disc anything that a disc doesn't really like or enjoy now clearly that makes sense if you've just had surgery on a disc but the irony there is that these are the things we should be doing anyway and the big question for me at this point is have you had that guidance prior to any surgery have you had guidance on the a daily routine and a daily movement advice and exercise that supports what the spine and what those discs ultimately want to do or not want to do? Because repetitive flexion, repeated flexion and twisting particularly are detrimental to disc health. And if you've been doing those things for a number of years, that's likely what's caused your disc irritation. Very rarely is it a result of a significant trauma. It's it's a repetitive action that leads to disc herniation. So if you haven't had that guidance pre-surgery, if you haven't had that guidance on movement and what things you should be avoiding doing to support that disc in healing itself naturally, then for me, that's something that you really need to reflect on before going down this surgical route. Because like we say, it is a one-way path. Now, this the outcomes and the success rate, if you look at the evidence, seems to be between 85 to 95%. Now, that's pretty good, but clearly there are a proportion of the population that have these surgical treatments that don't respond. Now, the likelihood is that those that don't respond are simply going back to the things that they were doing previously that caused the problem in the first place. Because this isn't a treatment that is just going to prevent back problems in the future. And I think this is the, another key point. The surgery alone is not going to solve your problem. Because if you go back to doing the things that you did before that caused the problem, then the problem is going to come back. Whether it's that disc or another disc, the problem is likely to come back if you don't change the things you're doing. And that involves better movement, it involves spine hygiene, and it involves building core strength. So don't think that surgical approach is a quick solution, because it's not. And any surgeon is going to tell you that the rehabilitation is just as important. So if you haven't done that rehabilitation pre-surgery if you haven't had the effective advice pre-surgery then I would definitely recommend that you seek out somebody that can give you that information and can support an effective rehabilitation plan first if needed 
the surgical route is there. But we want to avoid it in as many cases as we can. And the frustrating and the sad fact is people just aren't getting the advice they need to take ownership of their back health and avoid chronic pain and potentially surgical procedures as a result. And so really think about that before you go down this route. The option's there, but if you have that treatment and you go back to doing the things you did before, then the chances are it's going to come back. And actually, if it does come back, then the recurrence is much higher. So the likelihood of you getting it again is then up to 15 to 20%. So yes, you could have another procedure, but then your risk of reoccurrence is higher again. So a lot of things to really think about there before going down this, this surgical route. Now, generally, if you're going to get a reoccurrence, it's going to occur probably on average around the three-month mark. Sometimes it's directly afterwards, sometimes it's years later. But again, the reason it's coming back is likely because you're just not following the spinal hygiene advice, the exercise advice, the core strength advice that you need to be following in order to build a better back. Because surgery alone, as I say and reiterate, isn't just a quick solution that means you don't have to take an active approach yourself because that is going to be a, a bad, bad approach for you to just think that that is going to solve your problem. So the other things we want to consider post-surgery are the risk of scar tissue because if you're cutting through tissue to get to the disc, then there is that risk of, of scar tissue formation and particularly we don't want that scar tissue to adhere to the nerve root because then as you're moving, that, that nerve root isn't passing through the tissue, the surrounding tissue, as smoothly as it should be. And if it comes adherent to other tissue because of scar tissue, then you can get a lot of aggravation of that nerve root and the same sort of symptoms in terms of leg pain. So nerve flossing would be another exercise that you're likely to be given. And if not, then it is something that uh, you should be given, in my opinion, to ensure that that nerve root is being cared for and can move through those tissues effectively. And that's something that you're going to want to do quite quickly post-surgery, just to make sure that those tissues don't get the opportunity to, to form scar tissue around that, that nerve root. So nerve flossing, keeping your back in a neutral spine would be something that, that would be really beneficial. And in simple terms, if you imagine sitting upright, keeping that back straight, let's say the pain and the discomfort was down your left leg and it's the left side of your lower back of a, of a disc in your lower back that's being treated, then imagine straightening your leg and as you point your toes, you bend your head forward, you flex your head forward and simultaneously you, you then dorsiflex your foot, you bring your toes towards you and you extend the head backwards. What that's going to do is help floss the nerve because the nerves passing into your lower leg go into the nerve root, into your spinal cord. Your spinal cord runs up all the way to the brain. So it's attached from your brain right the way down to your toes. So if you move your head and foot together, then you're pulling that 
nerve effectively through the tissue and it's called nerve flossing for that reason so that's something that really should be a consideration and if you've undergone surgery and you haven't been given that advice then definitely ask your physiotherapist your surgeon about that because we want to avoid any scar tissue around that nerve root for sure so there is going to be an active approach to your recovery and so thinking about that pre-surgery is the key take-home here for me today because again if you've not been given that advice then why not try that approach first to see if effective rehabilitation effective movement effective exercise can prevent the need for surgery and in many cases often it will it's just the bad advice out there and the wrong approaches and not leading you to success and therefore you're having to go down this route of surgery to alleviate what is quite an uncomfortable uh, symptom of of leg pain particularly alongside back pain so completely understandable why people want to go down that approach to get rid get rid of this discomfort but sad that they're not getting the advice that could help prevent that surgery in general so really from a rehabilitation point of view we're, we're, we're looking at the same things that we would be looking at if you hadn't gone down that surgical route so we're avoiding those movements that aggravate the disc we're looking at building core strength we're keeping that spine in neutral we're learning to brace the spine so that ultimately we're protecting the back and we're allowing those discs to heal so whether it's surgery or not surgery we have to do those things to allow that disc to heal so it's healing with or without surgery so it shouldn't be a big surprise that the advice is to try and avoid it in the first place don't just assume that that discectomy will solve your issue and i go again i'm laboring that point but really really important really important because surgery isn't a shortcut to recovery you still need to modify your lifestyle to support that back in the long term spinal hygiene is essential core strength is still important these are non-negotiable for long-term back health and resilience because you don't want it to come back and if you don't take that advice then the issue is likely to return so if you're looking for a short road to recovery then surgery is certainly not the option you know do you do the work first and then use surgery as a backup for the small percentage of people that can't get better with conservative care so hopefully that gives some indication to the listeners to those people that are considering surgery and if you're suffering from significant discomfort and you've been suffering for a while then it's understandable why you would just think i want that i want that discomfort to be cut away completely can empathize with that because i've suffered from low back pain myself it is not a nice experience but if you know the things you do you should do to manage your pain then you really can feel in control and empowered to get back to the activities that you love in a conservative way so the surgery is non-invasive the outcomes are are pretty good in terms of surgical treatment but it is a one-way street there are risks and there are definitely things that we want to do effectively first before going down that route so hopefully that is clear you will take an active approach to recovery whether you're 
undergoing surgery or not. So expect to do some exercises and ensure you adhere to those exercises if you've already undergone this surgical approach. Because if you don't do that, then as I said, the reoccurrence rate is is pretty significant. So head on over to the website where you'll get some ideas of some of the exercises you can do to build that core strength, to move correctly, to support your spinal hygiene before going down this route of surgery. Because if you can do that, then clearly that's the best option. And then you have a fallback option if required. So head on over to www.smartstrong.co.uk. Have a read of our ebook. And as I say, there's some great advice in there on some of the exercises that you can be doing, some of the fundamental things that you can do to support your back health. And hopefully, as a result, avoid any need for spinal surgery at this time. So www.smartstrong.co.uk. And as always, thank you to the listeners that are posting reviews and sending these emails. We appreciate it. Any questions that you want answering on the show, then give us a shout. We're happy to talk about them and to help answer your questions. And as always, head on over to iTunes, give us a rating, give us a review. It helps to share the message and share the help and advice that we are trying to put out to the world to support better back health. So thanks again for listening and we'll see you on the next show.